Good evening and welcome to From the Frontline. I'm Hunter Combs in the studio once again with Dr. Peter Hammond discussing without a vision a people perish. What is our vision for the future and how do we actually set a vision? And that's what we want to discuss tonight as we think about entering the new year um, into 2022. Thank you, Dr. Hammond, for being here with us tonight. Well, this is really important. We need a vision and uh We've got new opportunities. We've got a new year, new beginnings, a new life to start, a new start in life. The Lord can give us new hope, new vision, new initiatives, new energy, new zeal, new duties, new responsibilities, which is why we often like to start our year off with a training course. And in our case, we've got the Biblical Worldview Summit coming up, but uh, mm. it's always a good time to start the year with the Word of God, with the people of God, and Lord what would you have me do? Where do you want us to go? What do you want us to say and do? And uh, so if we start right, we can save ourselves a lot of grief down the road. It's true. Mm. When you're taking compass readings, you're doing map work, you're trying to find. If you start wrong, <laughs> it takes a lot of effort to get back mm. right. But if you start on the right path, the rest becomes easier. Mm. Absolutely. So how do we get a vision that's in line with scripture, in line with the vision God has for us. Maybe we can discuss uh, how do we sort of set a vision? What what are the best steps to take? I mean, there's, there's certainly a lot in having a good vision. I mean, everyone has some sort of vision of the future, whether it's an accurate vision or a good vision or a biblical vision or from another worldview. But uh, maybe you can discuss with mm. us just as a, Christians, as followers of Christ, how do we do this? How do we set a vision? Well, I think one of the most famous uh, visions in the Bible, certainly for many missionaries, is from Isaiah chapter 6, mm. uh, you know, where Isaiah saw the Lord and he heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? But before Isaiah had a vision of God, you notice in Isaiah chapter 5, he had to experience a vision of the evil that people do, of the mm. chaos that the world was in, of the depravity of man. So before we have a vision of God and what he wants done, perhaps we need to first take a good hard look at the reality of the world we're facing, including the sinfulness in our own hearts, yeah. depravity of man. But uh, once Isaiah saw a vision of the world's need, he was more ready to experience a vision of what God could do. And just also think in Acts 26, Acts 26 verse 18, the Apostle Paul describes the vision of the Lord when, when he was on his road to Damascus and he's on his way to arrest Christians, to put them to the sword if necessary, and he goes out there with murder in his heart against church, and he meets the Lord on the road to Damascus. Uh, in fact, he's struck off his horse by a blinding light, and on the ground he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And the Apostle Paul described his vision of the Lord in Acts 26 verse 18, which included a vision of what the world outside of Christ really is. And that's really quite telling. So the Apostle Paul lists what the world outside of Christ is in Acts 26. Lost, hmm. blind, in darkness, under the power of Satan, bound, unforgiven, condemned and guilty, which is what actually Paul was before hmm. the grace of God transformed him. So the question we should ask is, do you have a vision of the world's need? Mm. And without that vision of the world's need, you really, if you don't understand the need, why even have a vision? It's like, oh, well, everything's okay. Let's just sort of sit here and 
uh, watch as life goes by. So there is a need to actually first examine the problem. <laughs> and this is what's led to great people doing amazing things like William Wilberforce uh, abolishing slavery and all these other people throughout history of doing amazing things for the kingdom of God. They saw a need, they they felt a call, and they had this vision, okay, let's do something about this. Yes, one of the greatest of the quotes is that of the tremendous cricketer turned pioneer missionary C.T. Studd. He had a vision of hell, and that's why he declared, some people like to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I would like to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Mm. And C.T. Studd did that. I mean, he gave up cricketing. He was the top cricketer of England at the time, and cricket was the greatest sport of the greatest empire. And he became missionary to China, to India, and into the Congo. And C.T. Studd, in fact, drew a line through the map from north to south and east to west, and he went smack in the middle. He called his mission Heart of African Mission. And he went literally to the darkest, most unreached part of the world at that time, right in northern Congo. And uh, his first baptisms he was doing with a revolver in one hand to shoot away uh, the crocodiles who mm. were threatening <laughs> to undermine his baptism. Because a crocodile could ruin a baptism. And uh, so C.T. Studd, he said, I want to run a rescue shop within the yard of hell. Now, that kind of vision, I think, uh, that's what's often motivated many in the greatest sense of missions is they had a vision of the world's need mm. and they wanted to make a difference. Mm. So how would you sort of define a vision? I mean, obviously, we spoke. you spoke about a vision, sort of Isaiah having a vision of God or the Lord upon his throne, Paul having a vision. But in a sense, when we talk about Having a vision, we're not necessarily saying like having a, a, a visual sighting of God or something. No, like we're that. not talking necessarily about something spiritual. We're talking about vision in the sense of Proverbs twenty nine verse eighteen. Without a vision, the people perish. So um, we need we need a vision of what God has called us to and what He wants us to do. We need to have a world vision. We need to have mm -hmm. a biblical vision. We need to have a great commission vision. And uh, well, what does God want to do now? I mean, some people's vision might be to. Uh, reform education, like my sister-in-law, uh, Debbie. She's, uh, in fact, uh, such a pioneer of education in Austria that the president awarded her a title akin to a knighthood in England, which is part of her uh, name in Austria because um, of what a pioneering she's done in education. And mm. So people might have a vision in terms of engineering. The, uh, you just think of Philip Stott, the vision he had of this 10,000-seater auditorium for Kwasavanta Mission. And he built it with very innovative design techniques, mm. engineering techniques. So there are many types of visions a person can have. It, it might lead to great books like Charles Dickens or Jane Austen produced. Uh, so we're not necessarily talking about something being necessarily Christian or spiritual uh, or supernatural, but what is your vision? I mean, mm. What is it that uh, the big picture of what you want your life to accomplish or achieve or do and uh, then, of course, that's not measurable. Uh, a vision is, is is broad. But then you might need to set goals. So, mm. you know, uh, when you think of the goal, well, if you're playing soccer, the goal is to get the ball into that net on the other side yeah. of the field, the opponent's <laughs> net, not an own goal. And uh, if you're a long-distance runner, you're thinking of, okay, I've got to run this 12Ks and I've got to get past that finish line uh, there's these steep mm. inclines as though I've got to really pace myself and look where the others are going and so on. And so you, whatever your vision is, you can't reach your vision without goals. Without goals, And, mm. and the goals are measurable. So, mm. for example, if I say something like, my purpose is to glorify God and to fulfill the Great Commission. 
well, that's a great purpose, but now how do I know that I'm achieving it? Hmm. Well, if I set a goal like, um, for example, uh, Dale Moody set a goal that he would witness to one person every day. Now, speaking to a crowd in a stadium didn't count. Hmm. One person, one-on-one. And so there were the funny anecdotes of how Dale Moody would sometimes be walking around in the streets in his nightgown uh, with slippers, trying to find someone because it was near midnight and he realized, oh, you know, I haven't spoken to one individual today. And he's finding some policeman walking the streets or whatever. And uh, uh, so a goal of I am going to share the gospel with one new person every day. I mean, that's a measurable goal. If I say my goal is to read a chapter of the Bible every day. That's measurable. I, I know if I've done it or I haven't done it. I mean, it's one chapter. So if I say my goal is to spend half an hour in prayer for the persecuted church every day, hmm. it's measurable. You know whether you've done it. Or I'm going to work my way through the Operation World Book uh, through every country over hmm. the next year. That's It's time-specific. It's measurable. You know whether you've achieved it or not. And if you get behind, you know what you've got to do to catch up. So hmm. uh, a, a, a good vision and purpose needs aims and goals hmm. to measure your progress and and guide you so that uh, for example you just take uh, someone like uh, my son Calvin he wants to be a long distance runner well he is a long distance runner hmm. he runs an average of 140 kilometers a week that means 20 kilometers a day running and so he's got specific goals and he's got time specific that he's got to do these in, and he wants to beat his personal best in order to be ready for and he's got different races many of which were cancelled in the last two years. Mm. Uh, but then he still did them. Even though the race wasn't on, he would still run the same distance and he had all kinds of ways of measuring. And, uh, you know, you can only respect people who do that. But as Christians, we can't just drift. Mm. If you drift, I mean, even a dead fish can float downstream. But if you want to achieve something in God's kingdom, his kingdom is at the other end of the narrow way, which is steep, and narrow and rocky and unpopular and hard often. But uh, we don't choose our road by which is the most comfortable road. Then we'd be on a broad road to destruction. We need to choose a road by is it going to where we want to go? In mm. our case, ultimately heaven. Then we've got to follow him who's the way, the truth, and life. And, and he's given us a lot of calls and commands in the scripture, which if we understand, we can set wise attainable goals that will stretch us to do more than we would have done if we had not set these goals. Hmm. And I've heard uh, a good acronym to use when setting goals is the acronym SMART. So first S, be specific. The goal should identify a specific action or event that will take place. So you don't just want to say, oh, I want to see all the lost people saved. Well, that's so vague in general that, I mean, yes, that isn't. Ultimately, that's the Great Commission. We want to see people saved, but be specific. Rather, I want to see a church planted in my community by the end of next year. That's specific. Measurable, the goal uh, should have its benefits be quantifiable, meaning you can actually see, am I actually accomplishing this? What What is actually taking place? It should be achievable. The goal should be attainable given your resources. So, I mean, if you're a poor person who makes $5 a month, uh, you can't give a million dollars away to the poor or something like that. That's not actually realistic. Rather, what resources do you have and can it be achievable? R is realistic. The goal should require you to stretch some, but allow the likelihood of success and timely. 
you should state when you want to accomplish your goal. So for example, you want a specific goal, not just to find a job, but rather to find and research five job openings before the end of the month. That's a better goal. And then you sort of build on those goals. You can have long-term goals and short-term goals. Um, and so these are, it's important to think about setting goals because we often say, oh, we'll just set goals, but be specific, be realistic, be, say what time you're going to do it. So I want to improve my prayer life. That's a bit too vague. Rather, if you can say, as you said, I'm going to spend 30 minutes in prayer five days a week. Uh, and I want to see if I can do this over the course of the next 30 days. Well, that's specific. Mm -hmm. It gives you a goal that you're setting for. And then after 30 days, you can say, okay, now I want to spend an hour in prayer every single day for the next two months, something like that, that'll actually help you. And you can start seeing, okay, how did I do? You sort of evaluate yourself and look back and see, have I actually done these goals? Because as you say, you may have a vision, but if you don't have goals, you're not actually necessarily fulfilling that vision or that purpose that God has placed on your life. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, mm. which is also very helpful understanding. Yes, so measurable helps. And of course, don't try to reinvent the wheel. So, for example, there's some great programs out there that can help you. When I got converted, Script Union hmm. was offering the Daily Bread, which helped me get going in my devotion life. And I found Daily Bread very helpful asking the different questions. What does this passage teach me about God? What does this hmm. passage teach me about man? What does this passage teach me about sin? What does this passage teach me about salvation? Is there a command to obey? Is there a sin to repent of? Is there a commitment to make? Is there a prayer to be prayed? And so it asked key questions, which helped me think through the passage. I wasn't just going through the words and then at the end my life wasn't changed, but it was challenging my attitudes, calling me to action. So I found the Daily Bread a very nice beginning uh, in my devotional life to get me going. And uh, as time goes on, you, you find other tools. Like if you say, I want to pray for missions and the persecuted church. Well, Operation Worlds, the intercessor's handbook, gives you a hmm. great amount of insights and information and prayer needs of many countries and answers to prayer too, which is very inspiring as well. So uh, when you've got something that you can work through and, uh, uh, you know, I want to uh, improve my devotional life, well, you know, Andrew Murray books or Charles Spurgeon, Morning and Evening, uh, My Atmosphere's House. There's some great resource that can get you started. You know, don't feel like you've got to uh, do it all yourself and, and uh, all the rest of it. Uh, same thing with home education. There's some great textbooks. And parents don't have to create the textbooks. <laughs> the textbooks that people have put hundreds of, of hours, thousands of hours, lifetimes into in many cases that we can make use of and, and use. So uh, for us to achieve our goals, there are ministries to help us. So for example, you say, I want to be more evangelistic. I want to souls to Christ. Well, that's great, but how are you going to do that? Well, the first evangelistic training program I came across was Evangelism Explosion, which is absolutely mm. superb. It taught me how to lead people in conversations to get them to think about eternity. And so EE, or Evangelism Explosion, really was helpful. And in Way of the Master, wow, what a great resource. Mm. So many good training materials, so many good evangelistic resources. So if you say, I want to evangelize, and then they give you goals such as to not only win someone to Christ, but to train and disciple them that they will be training and, and discipling other people next mm. year. So this goal of, if and you say, well, I can do better than one a year. Well, fine, choose two a year or whatever. Mm. But, but the thing is, the goal is a ministry of multiplication. Don't just achieve good things, replicate and multiply yourself. Mm. We don't just want the Lord to add to the church. We want the Lord to multiply to mm. the church, which in fact uh, we read about in scripture too. So, mm. uh, 
if we know of these great resources, the Great Commission course, the Biblical Worldview Summit, Way of the Master, EE, Muslim Evangelism Training from Life Challenge, there's the great resources. You don't need to go out there on your own. There's others who have similar visions and goals and want to help you, and uh, you get part of a team, you'll find it immensely mm. easier. It's very hard to physically, spiritually, or mentally train yourself on your own. Absolutely. But if you do it in a team... And there's accountability, and sometimes when you feel like giving up, uh, but the others are egging you on, mm. or they and they're, they're encouraging you, uh, it's so much easier to persevere mm. when you're part of a team. Mm, absolutely, and I think that's part of what makes edu education or studying at college or university helpful, because you're actually in a class, you're in a group of people who are doing the same thing, and you, you can work together, you can, oh, I'm really failing at this assignment, can you help me out? But also, that's why we're part of the body of Christ, so... We're go uh, going towards the same goal. We want the Great Commission to be accomplished. We want to reach the lost. We want to disciple people. We want to see souls saved. And so you can have accountability with others. I think it's very important, as you said, to have other people to egg you on, but share your goals with people like your parents, uh, maybe an accountability partner, a mentor, a teacher, other people in your church, your ministry, your small group, and to be able to hold each other accountable. Hey, how are you doing on your goals? I think that's really important. Um, so let's let's uh, talk some more about um, yeah just vision and this idea of having a vision. How did you come up with sort of your vision for Frontline Fellowship? Obviously, you're 40 years now into the ministry. Is uh, I mean, yes. this couldn't have happened on accident that you actually had a vision of <laughs> what no. you wanted to accomplish. No, I mean it started off with me being brought up in a secular, non-Christian, unchurched family where prayer and Bible reading was not part of our lives. Going to church and Sunday school was never part of our life. So I was as secular as it came. You know, Sundays were boring days um, and Sunday newspapers. And, I'm, I, you know, it, it, it's shocking how much time we wasted. Uh, but at age 17, I was confronted with the gospel. And, and you know, you may think, well, 17, you barely start to live. But at 17, that's that's your whole lifetime. Yeah. I hadn't <laughs> heard the Lord yet. And, I was, and now I've encountered message of the Lord. And the message was, this is what Christ did for you. What have you ever done for him? And I was struck on the night that I first heard the gospel, what have I done for God? Absolutely nothing at that stage. I hadn't even thanked him for anything. I, I was an ungrateful, hell-deserving sinner. And so that conversion experience, along with the call to evangelize, mm -hmm. meant I wanted to get involved in missions and evangelism. Mm -hmm. The first ministry got involved in script union, holiday missions, and then gospel literature distribution, Sunday school. All this was great, but... When a mission came past our church and I heard Hospital Christian Fellowship's founder, Francis Grimm, giving a message from the book of Jonah, I was just, I must be part of this. And I went forward and I joined them. And uh, Hospital Christian Fellowship's great vision was more people pass through the hospitals of the world than through the churches. And so if we can reach and teach medical personnel, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and all the other medical people in the hospital, they will have ongoing opportunities to minister to people when they're at their most receptive, when they mm. are laid aside, when they're on their bed, when they're facing in the right direction, mm. when God's got their attention. And so, and he also made the comment that communists have closed churches, but they can't close hospitals. Mm. And we thought, well, you know, that's true. Hospitals can be very strategic for missions. And of course, hospitals always used to be mission centers originally, but unfortunately they've gotten secularized. And so the need for getting the medical personnel in fellowships, hospital Christian fellowships, now they're called Healthcare Christian Fellowship International, in order to train and encourage others to reach medical people. Well, shortly after joining Hospital Christian Fellowship, I got my military call-up, and I was conscripted, national service, two years in the army. And I must say, although 
most of my life up till then, I'd been eagerly looking forward to when I could do my bit to fight communism, become a soldier, and just like my father and brother and uncles and grandfathers and going back who knows how many centuries. And so the idea of being in the military had always been to me a major goal. But now it's converted. I want to be a missionary. And I went into the army frustrated because oh, I'm going to waste two years and the Lord's mm. going to come back before I've finished my two years. No <laughs> opportunity to be a missionary. And the Lord confronted me in just the first few days in the army of, is this not a mission field? I mean, look around. Uh, and yep, from the look of it and the sound of it, there's a lot of pagans around me. And uh, there's no doubt there was not much fear of God. There was a lot of people who blasphemed his name and who were obviously pagan, secular, unsaved. And then there were others who were quiet who might have been Christians, but maybe they're intimidated, cowardly. This was a mission field. And so I think the vision came right there and then that be a missionary where you are. I mean, where. There's the parable of the sower, and there's two parables of the sower. And we all know the first parable of the sower, and most haven't noticed the second. The first parable of the sower is where we are the sower. Hmm. And we are sowing the seed of the word, and the word of God is the seed, and the field is the hearts of men. Hmm. But the second parable of the sower, God is the sower, we are the seed, and the field is the world. Hmm. And so just as we are called to sow the word of God in people's lives, the gospel, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, and God's word never returns void. In another sense, also in Matthew 13, there's the parable of the sower where the Lord is the sower and he's sowing us into the world and we're meant to put down roots and bear fruit where God plants us. Mm. Well, I was in my mission field. It's not the mission field I chose, but it's a mission field God put me in. And I started a Bible study and a prayer fellowship, and that grew, and people got converted, and they need discipling. And and hmm. and during that time, we started to have prayer parades, um, prayer chains. We'd pray through the night, especially on sun, Saturday nights into Sunday morning, and we'd use Operation World. Well, going through Operation World, it suddenly leapt out of the page and hit me over the head. Mozambique, the least evangelized country in the Southern Hemisphere. Mozambique's a neighboring country. Not one Bible for a thousand people. No missionaries allowed. No one under 18 allowed in the church. And I'm looking at this thinking, I could take Bibles in Mozambique. We could take the Jesus form, which had just come out in 1980, into Mozambique. And the idea began to coalesce, and the vision came of recruiting Christians from military background, going into war zones, restricted access areas, helping the persecuted church, delivering them the Bible, showing Christian films to try and win the enemy even. Maybe we could even get into terrorist bases and show the Jesus mm. woman and win our communist enemies to Christ. They're coming to us with bombs and hatred. We need to go to them with Bibles and with the love of Christ. And, and so the whole vision developed are these all-night prayer meetings, mm. Operation World, and it's just an extraordinary experience. And I, I think, of course, everyone has an influence on your life one mm. way or the other. And the fact that Francis Grimm saw the hospitals as a mission field and then God showed me that the military was a mission field. And then during our time in the military, we saw, well, our enemies and the neighboring countries, which are meant to be our communist enemies, they're mission fields. And so the whole thing just grew and we thought, the Cubans are coming to us and the Russians are coming to us. Have we ever sent missionaries to hmm. Cuba? Have we ever sent missionaries to Russia? And uh, hmm. so uh, a lot of this just developed. So that's some of how God works in my life and explains something of the unique character of Frontline Fellowship. So it's really vision is gained through, in a sense, getting your hands dirty, actually getting in the battle and start doing something. So in a sense, it's okay to not necessarily have an exact specific vision, but just get in the game and start doing something. That reminds me of, um, I had the chance to visit Thailand um, when I was in college. 
and I stayed at an orphanage uh, through some connections of family, friends, and uh, the American guy who started these five orphanages, he fought in the Vietnam War, and when he was fighting in the Vietnamese War, he uh, realized there are so many orphans and so many people just not taking care of them. He wasn't saved at the time, and he thought, here's how I'm going to solve the problem. I'm going to get really rich, and that's how I'm going to solve the problem with these orphans. Of course, the Lord got a hold of his life, but then he still had this vision of going and helping these orphans. So he later ended up leaving the States and going back to Thailand, and um, he began bringing in orphans into his house. He'd just disciple them, take care of them. He'd go into the villages where their families had abandoned them, some of them abandoning them to the sex uh, slavery. And now he has five different orphanages run by his former orphans who he discipled and raised up. But it all comes through sort of getting in the battle and getting out there. And then the Lord begins to give you a vision of what you're meant to do. Uh, we know that the whole world needs Christ, but we can't all reach the entire world for Christ. So what is it specifically, what is the area of influence you have that the Lord wants to use you to actually begin reaching people? Begin in your circle of influence. Begin in your city. Begin going across the street. Begin going downtown, talking to refugees. Begin going to your local mosque. Go to a local Mormon temple. Go to Kingdom Hall. Speak to Jehovah's Witnesses. Do something. Get in the game and see where the Lord begins to call you and say, Here's the calling I've placed on your life. In fact, I've, I've got a, an example there which doesn't reflect too well on me, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's the first time I went to America in 1988. I was in Texas, and at the end of my presentation in the home fellowship, along bounded a very young-looking girl over to me with such enthusiasm, said, I want to be a missionary in Africa. And I must have been tired because I, I, I didn't give her much serious attention. I said, well, what... Um, training and experience here. says, I've got a BA in political science. So I said, well, that's not much use, is it? Why don't you go to Bible college and volunteer for inner city outreaches, Sunday school, do outreaches, join Operation Rescue, get arrested, then contact me. And would you know, three years later, Martha McComb contacts me. I've done what you want. I've just graduated from Christ for the Nations College. I've gotten arrested twice uh, for Operation Rescue, done inner city work and so Come right over. Well, <laughs> well, she did super well. I mean, she actually yeah. did it. And uh, uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, but she did it. <laughs> she took it seriously. And she was superb in our mission. Mm. And she did four years with Frontline, helped us launch Africa Christian Action 2. After us, she went on to YWAM in Serbia, got bombed by her own president and a tail wags mm. a dog, um, a war in Serbia to distract attention from scandals in the White House under Clinton. Uh, she went, she was in a prayer meeting in a church and her own air force bombed her and she had glass spread all over her oh, uh, from the goodness. church windows while they're praying in the church. And uh, she ended up running YWAM's work all throughout Eastern Europe. And now she's in Jordan, uh, married to another missionary and they're working in Jordan. So she's still in the field since 1988. I mean, how's that for someone who... She started, took the challenge, even if the challenge was uh, uh, not very well worded, <laughs> and and stuck to it. I mean, you need perseverance and stamina. And so the key thing is start where you are. Uh, so many people want to start with, I want to be a missionary to the cannibals or smuggle barbers in the Middle East or whatever. And uh, yes, but if it doesn't work at home, don't export it. So start with going across the streets. Start with your neighbors. Mm. Start with Sunday school. Go to your pastor. Say, what can I do? I mean, if it's putting up uh, posters, if it's advertising, it's door-to-door, -door, uh, dropping letters, uh, whatever it is, do what's got to be done. Scrub, clean, polish, build. Uh, but nothing that you do 
at home is going to be wasted. It's going to prepare you for the field. In fact, until your church is going to miss you, you're not ready to go. Mm. And so the first step is just help in your local church and, and find local missions and ministries in your own area. Once you've got an experience in evangelism explosion and EE uh, way of the master in your hometown, now you can start thinking about preparing for Muslim evangelism mm. or another country. But, you know, to start with cross-cultural evangelism mm. in a, a different area where they've got different religions, that's hard. Mm. I, it's hard enough to get people saved to speak your language and live in your neighborhood. <laughs> so, you know, d d don't uh, set unrealistic goals or you'll get discouraged and give up. Uh, so attainable goals, mm. uh, you know, as you put smart, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, timely. Uh, these are the kind of goals that help. And you can be sure. When I started, and for me to speak for one minute for any subject was very, very mm. hard. I just like the first time the army expects you to run with a backpack. You know, you, you struggle <laughs> to go 100 meters and you, you're stopping and you're vomiting and just like my body can't do it. But it's perseverance. Just keep mm. going. And at first you can't run around the block uh, without uh, getting out of breath. But it's just like you can stretch your muscles, you can stretch your mind, you can mm. stretch your faith as well. Hmm, absolutely. And that reminds me of something I've just been reading in Hebrews 10 just today. It's uh, an encouragement to the believers to not lose heart, not fall away from the faith, but to endure, to persevere. And he says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. But we need endurance. We need people who are in it for the long run, not just uh, I'm going to do this for two years and then fall out of the game. I mean, so many missionaries, they go into the field a couple of years and then they have conflict with their other teammates. They go back home and they never enter the mission field again. Mm. And so we need endurance. We need long-term perseverance to continue going, to continue getting in the race and doing what God has called you to do. And I'm sure you've learned a great deal about endurance over the years. <laughs> yes. So missiologist Patrick Johnson, who launched Operation World, which is a phenomenon. And by the way, when he first went forward with the uh, concept of a missionary handbook for all the countries of the world. He was told by all the top publishers around the world, there's no market for an intercessory handbook for missions. Mm. And, uh, well, um, as he pointed out to me in 2010, Operation Worlds now sold 15 million copies in eight different editions in 15 different languages. So not bad for no market. <laughs> um, anyway, don't let people discourage you. Mm. And the amount of people have come to me and said, it can't be done. It shouldn't be done. It's illegal. You're not the right person to do it. This isn't the right time. I, there's people who've got a gift of discouragement and a yeah. ministry of <laughs> criticism. And we, we meant to get our encouragement from the Lord and from the Word. And don't don't uh, let other people derail you from God's calling. When he's put a vision before you, if it doesn't make sense to everyone else around you, well, they didn't get the vision. Don't blame mm -hmm. them. You know, it's entrusted to you. But it's so important not to give up and to persevere. Patrick Johnson pointed out, that for the first two years in missions, you're basically just learning. Mm. And he says you reach your optimum efficiency only by about your fourth year. Mm. And he said the trouble is most people wouldn't know that because they've given up long before then. Mm. The vast majority of missionaries give up before their first term in the field is, is over. So unfortunately, most people don't know if they're going to succeed. Mm. It's like imagining if you're starting and then you think, you know, I'm getting out of breath. I'll never be an athlete. Well, every athlete's gone through that. You've mm. just got to keep persevering. You, you don't stop uh, just because you failed. Uh, failure also teaches you, well, how can I do this better? What do I need to do first? Uh, maybe I wasn't well enough prepared. And uh, so just like you need a coach in any physical exercise, you need a spiritual coach too. Finding someone. Now, it's like this. There's always people who know more than you that 
you can learn from. And there's always people who know less than you that you can teach. So at all times, we should be witnessing to people who don't know what we know. Uh, even if we're a new convert, we know something that mm. many people don't know, uh, how to get saved. That's something to start with. But there's always people who know more than and have been further than I've been and are older and wiser than me that I should be learning from. So throughout our Christian life, we should always be learning and we should always be teaching. Mm. How do you sort of stay on track and stay focused with your vision? How important is it, do you think, to learn to say no to things that come your way when you have a specific or a focused vision? I mean, I think... (laughs) Uh, we often receive emails here in Frontline where people think we're just another glorified Christian Google service. Hey, I had this really interesting question. Could you just take uh, 30 minutes out of your day to answer it? It's like, well, if you actually... More like 30 hours. Yeah. <laughs> because some of the questions I ask are, you know, this this would be a full-time study project. Exactly. There's got to be somebody who wrote a book on this. Uh, <laughs> because some questions are really very involved. Mm. So how important is it, do you think, to learn to say no to sort of things that sort of derail you or distract you or, oh, wow, I mean, it may be a good thing, but it's actually taking you away from the focus of your vision. No, look, good can be an enemy of the best. Mm. And so God gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. It's very important for me to know what is my priority. And in fact, when you write down your list of, of things that you've got to do, then you should go through and mark them A, B, C, A for must do, B for should do. C for can do. The trouble is we often spend all our time with the can do's and we miss the must and should do's. Mm. So to get and then to put them in order of priority, and we really should start with the highest priorities because you may not get time to get to everything. Well, seldom do we, the longer you've been in work though. And the harvest is large and the workers are seriously few. And seriously, if anyone wants to volunteer, even short-term, uh, part-time, uh, missions are always short-staffed. And if you want to free up the people who call to uh, specialize in prayer and the word and evangelism and discipleship training, leadership training. Uh, if you can come in and volunteer and help giving some time, even if it's just some holiday time and so on, uh, and you help with some of the organizing and filing and uh, fixing and whatever else it is, there's immeasurable amount of things that have to be done in any mission or any church and ministry. Uh, it will free up people who often are absolutely overwhelmed it just the entries are overflowing uh, mm. the backlog of filing is huge uh, the amount of things that we're not getting to can be depressing and there's great need so the harvest is large the workers are few so we have got to measure we've got a limited amount of time a limited amount of resources and what's the highest priority god's given us and so if, if our priority say is caring for Christians who persecute in restricted access areas and getting Bibles into the hands of people who don't have them in areas where they can't get them, uh, then we shouldn't allow ourselves to get distracted into um, entertaining and uh, molly-coddling comfortable Christians who are washed with Bibles and have got more religious freedom to know what to do with. Mm. And this is the problem. You can often have the urgent can derail you from what is most important. And so in a mission, we've, we've often got to say, Sorry, I think you need to uh, speak to your pastor about that's what you need to. Mm. Oh, I don't have a church. Well, get one. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so it's so important that that we we um, don't allow ourselves to get distracted. One great and very uh, accomplished missionary who's been seriously blessed with a massive mission, he said to me, when God gives you something important to do, the devil sends people to waste your time. And I'm sorry to say there's a lot of people who come around to waste time. But more than that, let's just talk about technology because you cannot be effective as a disciple of Christ if you try to have your devotions 
with the TV on or the mm. computer on or the tabs open with things on go in the background with distraction mm. all over the place, responding to every ding on your phone yeah. or <laughs> bing on your yeah. computer. You, you can't do that. I no, mean, how true. easy is it to, to distract you? You have to separate. And, and this is why, you know, when the Bible says go into your closet, um, mm. it's it's like switch, switch everything off or silence it or mute it or whatever you've got to do. But the thing is, we must not be distracted if we distracted how can we have a serious devotional life if mm. we are open to every distraction and let's face it, a lot of it is garbage mm. and so much of what the world's giving is just distraction 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 and we need to stay focused and if you think of it like you're driving down the road you don't stop for every dog barking on the way mm. um, or every person who's blowing a hooter or everyone shouting in the street and so Unfortunately, we've got ourselves so open to technology that instead of technology being our servant to fulfill the Great Commission, in many cases it can be our master. And mm. even worse than that, it can sometimes be Satan being a slave mm. master to distract us from what is really important, what God's called us to. Mm. Yeah, and you think about how much people were able to accomplish in former times. And I think a lot of it is just because they didn't have all these distractions, all this technology, all this. I mean, we've learned how to work more efficiently with machines and computers on our side. But the downside is now it becomes sort of the snare, the stumbling block. We actually, I think oftentimes we get anxious or overwhelmed because we're actually trying to do more than what God's called us to because technology is saying, do this, do that, do that. Ah, look at this thing. Look at Rather than focus, <laughs> cut out distractions. I mean, I think in Richard Foster's uh, book, he talks about celebration of discipline. One of his disciplines is simplicity, having this focus, cutting out the distractions, just having the simplicity to life. And I think that's actually important in a vision too, having a uh, focus, a uh, goal, uh, you know what you need to do and cut out all those distractions. If you need to log out of your Facebook account, delete it off your smartphone, do it. <laughs> and, but you can also use Facebook as part of your ministry, as we've learned. But yeah, having this simplicity and focus. In well, there's a time and a place for everything. So for example, you can't have a serious, meaningful relationship and conversation with someone while you've got something else being distracted. Mm. And you can't seriously be worshiping God and so on church while you're also fiddling on your phone. Mm. You can't, it's just, there's so many things that it's just not right. I mean, could you imagine meeting the president or something? And, uh, you know, not that I think that they that impressive these days, but, but in <laughs> principle, but you wouldn't be allowing these distractions. Mm. And so uh, I think it's uh, some of the best decisions my wife, Laura, and I ever made was no TV in the home. Mm. And uh, the fact that it didn't matter who was phoning, if we're busy with devotions or family time at, uh, around supper table, um, we let ring. We, anyone who liked us would not want to interrupt these things. Mm. And it doesn't matter, you know, who's ringing at the door and so on. As, as I said when I was doing reading with my children, if the president phones, I'm busy. Mm. Um, I'm not available. I think the word is not available mm. uh, is the correct word. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what it is. And we've got to have that attitude because if this is the most important thing I can do right now, stay focused. And it did used to be easier. But with some good choices, we can actually protect our time. Mm. And so when some people have asked me, how have you managed to write so many books and so on? Said, well, quite simple. I, I don't watch TV and I don't read newspapers. <laughs> uh, but today that's not a good enough answer because most people don't read newspapers yeah. <laughs> or watch TV, but they're fiddling on the internet the whole time. Mm. The main thing is uh, stay focused. Mm. Which is actually one of the most difficult things to do in today's day and age. Uh, that's why cutting out a lot of these distractions is really helpful. Well, as we come to the end of our time, I think it'd be helpful for us to talk about some opportunities for you coming up here in the near future for how you can maybe catch a vision for how God wants to use you. 
Uh, we have the Biblical Worldview Summit coming up on the 6th of January, coming up here just right around the corner. Would you like to share a bit more about that, Dr. Hammond? Yes. So, well, it's so important that we've got a biblical vision and to start the year with the Word of God so that we must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. And Christ's great commission to make disciples of all nations, to teach obedience to all things the Lord has commanded, that should be our supreme ambition. The great commission should be our mm. supreme ambition. And so the lordship of Christ must be applied to all areas of life. Do you know what the biblical principles are for economics and education and crime and punishment and uh, for every area of life? There's questions all over the place. There's all these screaming things coming at us, but the Bible's got the answer. We just need to be reading it and studying it. And so the Biblical Worldview Summit brings in international speakers and authors and authorities who can help guide and give input, not just equip us and encourage us and empower us, uh, but also to help us focus effectively so that we can make a real impact, that we are not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds. So mm. a biblical worldview summit is very body, mind, and spirit. It's comprehensive, everything from PT in the mornings, hikes and practicals and workshops and interactive uh, group discussions, prayer groups, outreach groups, are very effective there. There's a lot of inspiring presentations. There's some great films, uh, but a lot of it's outdoors and hands-on, and it's healthy, it's uplifting. Uh, the venue is actually very close to a beach, which... I think in this kind of heat, uh, we're going to appreciate a bit of a cooling down every now and then. Uh, but uh, the Biblical Worldview Summit, we've been doing it for over 30 years. Hmm. We've done it in many countries all over Europe, Africa, Australia, North America. Uh, we've had people come from literally all corners of the world, from as far afield as New Zealand and Canada, uh, Europe, Australia, America, uh, Sudan and Nigeria. So uh, the Biblical Worldview Summit is really a way to begin your year afresh uh, for new vision, new energy, new initiative, new zeal uh, for this new start of our calendar. And so uh, Biblical Worldview Summit, if anyone's interested, they can go on frontlinemissionsa.org website, frontlinemissionsa.org, and you just need to come down uh, to where it's got uh, events, and you'll see there's posters, videos, leaflets, uh, details, uh, reports about previous uh, ones, so you get a bit of a feel of what's involved. We have lecture notes, manuals, textbooks that are part of it, or many people now prefer the digital library, that's fine, we mm. equip them with that too, uh, so that people are not just personally equipped, but they're able to go out. And our goal is everyone who attends the Biblical Worldview Summit will be able to use these resources and more mm. uh, that we equip them with uh, in their home cell group, youth group, church, school, home fellowship, um, classroom, wherever the situation is. And uh, we have a, a wide range of people and, and skills coming there. It's a great beginning. Uh, also, people interested in working in our mission or anywhere in terms of uh, making a biblical impact. We don't just want to survive at university. We want mm. to thrive in our workplace and, and place of study. And so the Biblical Worldview Summit is aimed at that. Do not let anyone um, capture you, trap you uh, through deceitful philosophy, which is built on this world and not in Christ. But uh, we need to have our minds transformed and renewed and be ready uh, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We do hope to see some of you there at the Biblical Worldview Summit. That's from the 6th to 13th of January. 
the cost of the course is 1,400 Rand, and it's an eight-day course. It's from Thursday to Thursday. Uh, it's Which a, in dollars is about $110. Uh, and actually, in today's exchange rate, is actually about $90. So it's actually pretty good right now. Uh, so, I mean, imagine an over-a-week course. It's, it's very affordable. We're just covering the cost of meals and accommodation. Uh, we're not in this for the money. We're here that we can help transform people's lives for the gospel. Yes, we, we're giving away, actually, the, the textbook selection notes, and, and none of the speakers are getting paid for it. So, you know, you couldn't get a, a better course um, uh, more cost-effectively. This this is really um, subsidized in many ways. Uh, so it's a wonderful opportunity. Uh, but, yes, Biblical Worldview Summit, you can email us, mission at frontline.org.za, uh, or you can go and look online, mission frontlinemissionsa.org. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And remember, as the Proverbs say in Proverbs 16, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Good night, and God bless.